Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. A San Diego bank hired a private investigator to track down a bank robber and retrieve stolen funds. The search led to Mexico. The investigator crossed the border and then Realizing he would need a Spanish interpreter, he opened up the telephone book and he hired the first interpreter listed in the yellow pages. After many days, he finally captured the bandit and through the interpreter, asked him, where did you hide the money? In Spanish, the thief replied, what money? I have no idea what you're talking about. With that, the investigator drew his pistol and said to the interpreter, Tell him if he doesn't tell me where the money is, I will shoot him where he stands. Upon receiving that message, the bank robber said to the interpreter, I have hidden the money in a coffee can under the fourth floorboard in the second floor men's room of the Palacio Hotel on Villa del Rio in La Paz. The investigator asked the interpreter, what did he say? The interpreter thought for a moment, and then he said, Senor... He says he's prepared to die like a man. Speaking of languages, not understanding one another, the next major event of the Bible that we will look at is the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11 verse 1 reads, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. After the flood, the descendants of Noah's sons repopulated the earth. Genesis chapter 10 chronicles the development of their families. Noah, as you remember, had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And out of those sons came various sons and grandsons, and then families, people, groups, and nations. As you read Genesis 10 and 11, you may wonder how the whole world could speak one language in Genesis 11, when Genesis 10 specifies that the whole earth was divided after their families, after their tongues, and their lands, after their nations. The answer is that Moses flip-flopped the narrative. Chronologically, the Tower of Babel comes before the scattering of the nations in Genesis 10. But Moses, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reversed the order. When we come to the last verse of chapter 10 and we read, These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood, we are supposed to ask, How did the world become divided and separated into nations in different languages? And Genesis 11, 1-9 answers that question. The Tower of Babel is the event that launched the scattering. In the flood, we find God's judgment by destruction. At the Tower of Babel, we find God's judgment by dispersion. Also, from the explanation of the generations of Noah in chapter 10, we read, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. These verses are important for understanding what takes place in chapter 11. Nimrod was Noah's great-grandson through Ham. 
It seems clear that this powerful leader was the force behind the building of Babel. Out of all the names in the record of chapter 10, he's the only one of whom more is said in that genealogy. Nimrod was a mighty one in the earth, but not in a good way. It is said that after Cush begat Nimrod, that Nimrod began to be a mighty one in the earth. In other words, he was trained by Cush, his father, from childhood to be a leader and a mighty one. The word mighty refers to a champion, someone who is superior in strength and courage. And the name Nimrod means, let us rebel, let us revolt. This man was a mighty leader of men who led the revolt against God at Babel. Nimrod is further described as a mighty hunter before the Lord. Again, this is not a compliment of Nimrod. What he did as a mighty hunter was an offense before the Lord. He was a man mighty in wickedness. Nimrod was not a hunter of game and wild animals. Rather, he was a warrior who was a hunter of men through his ability to fight and kill by ruthlessness he brought many under his influence and leadership and then he rose to a position as the world leader he rose to power not by political means but by might and intimidation he was a powerful deadly tyrant who conquered men and established a kingdom and he is the first individual in scripture to whom a kingdom was attributed which then began by him building four cities, Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kauna, in the land of Shinar. His activities centered first in Shinar and included leading the building of the Tower of Babel, the first organized rebellion of humans against God. Nimrod's hunting of men and show of force was done in rebellion against God in an open and brazen arrogance before the Lord. And Nimrod is a type of the Antichrist. And both of these men were and will be tools of Satan, used by him to arrogantly carry out Satan's rage against God. Verse 1 of chapter 11 highlights a condition of mankind which in and of itself is not wrong. The whole earth uses the same language and the same words. Since mankind had all recently come from a common ancestor, Noah and his three sons, all men still spoke a common language and had one vocabulary. But this sets the stage for man's rebellion and how God would judge mankind at Babel. Genesis 11, 2-4 reads, And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Coming from the region of Ararat, the people journeyed east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. The land of Shinar is the region of ancient Babylon and Mesopotamia, part of modern-day Iraq. Here the multiplied descendants from the ark found a well-watered plain near the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and they decided to settle down and dwell there. 
However, as the people of this gener- that generation settled in that plain of Shinar, it was an act of disobedience. That's exactly what God told them not to do. God had commanded that man spread out and fill the earth after the flood. Genesis 9.1 tells us, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish or fill the earth. Instead of dispersing all over the earth as God intended, mankind congregated in one place. This was a rebellion against God's clear command. They refused to scatter and they defiantly decided to dwell together in one place. Their goal was a self-sufficient society and civilization integrated under a powerful leader. They were making a declaration of independence, not from another nation, but from God. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, Go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Everybody's Somebody in the Body of Christ is an 18-page booklet transcribed from Episode 6 of our program, Transformed by Grace, written and taught by Pastor Kevin Sadler, President of the Berean Bible Society. In this booklet, we see that in the body of Christ, we have all been equipped with different gifts and skills to do certain tasks, to continue to be a light to the world, We all need to do our part, develop our skills, and then do it efficiently by grace through faith. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. This message is also available on DVD. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. As they settled in the plain of Shinar, the people said, Let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. When man rebels against God, there is unity and agreement. You see man's agreement on everything in this account. Everything is, go to, let us, and come, let us. In this, you see their collective desire and one voice of agreement. After deciding to settle in Shinar, man's first decision then was to create a brick-making, an asphalt industry. The common way of construction of buildings and walls in that time was to use stone with clay mortar. However, the people decided to make something stronger and longer lasting. Furnace-treated, baked, hardened, durable bricks were used instead of stone or or even sun-dried bricks as the building material. And slime or tar or asphalt was used for mortar instead of clay. By these things, it shows they intended to build a permanent community with strong, stable, waterproof buildings. As a side note, and something for you to consider, the waterproof nature and the strength of the tower from these bricks and asphalt, along with its height reaching into heaven, 
may have been done so in disbelief of God's promise to never again flood the earth. It may have been created to protect man against a future worldwide flood because mankind has always doubted and disbelieved God's word. The people again take counsel and make an official declaration stating their threefold goal for their civilization. Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name. The threefold plan was a city, a tower, and a name. They wanted to create first a carefully planned urban center with each part designed for permanence and utility, strategically created for the optimum benefit of the whole city and all people within it. They said, let us build us a city, or build a city for ourselves. The city was about self and pride. Their purpose was to establish a city as a monument to their pride and for their reputation. It was not made for the glory or honor of God, but for us, they say. Secondly, as the chief part of that glorious city, they wanted to build a tower. And Henry Morris wrote this about the tower. The great tower would dominate the city, both architecturally and culturally. It would serve as the focal point of the political and religious life of the population and would be a symbol of their unity and strength. The tower was not to be built as an actual attempt to reach the abode of God in heaven. Rather, it was just that they wanted it to be a high tower, as a monument to their abilities and greatness. And as that high tower stood high and prominent on that open plain of Shinar, it would have enhanced their fame as it stood for years and decades to come. The tower's top reaching into heaven referring primarily to its great height, can be verified by how Moses explained Israel's perception of the cities and walls of Canaan. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Possible that the tower was also built for religious purposes, but the text doesn't make that real clear. Some see that the tower might have been a ziggurat, such as been found in ancient cities of Mesopotamia. A ziggurat was like a pyramid, but the successive levels were recessed, and you could, by that, work your walk your way to the top on steps. At the top, they often would have a temple or a place to worship and offer sacrifices to their false gods. They were also seen as a stairway between the gods and earth. For the gods they worship to descend and come down to meet with them and then be able to ascend back to the heavens. But if the tower was built for religious reasons, I think Tony Evans put it well. To build a city was to build a civilization. To build a tower was to build a religious order. Both would be man-centered, not God-centered efforts. They were adopting a form of humanism. Humanism, glorying in man and his accomplishments and in his abilities in defiance of the true God, robbing God of his glory, those are things you see clearly in this account. And by that, you also see, as it's been said, well, this passage is a mirror of the modern world. 
it reveals to us what we might call the power game. The tower was meant to make a statement. We're the greatest city on earth. No one is like us. No one can touch us. How modern that sounds. We live in a world that exalts the superlative. Big, bigger, biggest. Fast, faster, fastest. Smart, smarter, smartest. Tall, taller, tallest. Rich, richer, richest. Those in Babel wanted their city and their tower to be the greatest the world had ever seen, and by it, they wanted to make a name for themselves. Their ambition was not to make for God a name by their city and tower, but only a name that promoted themselves. The real motive here was the desire for renown. By the construction of the city with its great tower, this Babel generation was seeking to establish a testimony and a memorial to their supposed greatness, to make their reputation and fame great and widely known for years to come in exclusion from God. And they acknowledged that their purpose in making this city and high tower and to make a name for themselves was all to go against God's command, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Their pride and rebellion against God, as well as their unbelief, were the strong, unifying, binding influences that tied them together in this one location. And the object of building the great tower was to establish a noted central point which would serve to maintain their unity and keep them all together as they gloried in their shared achievement of this high tower. This generation could not conceive of blessing and security coming as a result of scattering and filling the earth as God commanded. They felt the most secure when they stayed together. So along with pride and rebellion bringing them together, it was unbelief and fear that led them to the plain of Shinar to build the city in that great tower. They did not believe God's word, so they put their faith in bricks and asphalt. Genesis 11, 5-9 read, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. The expression that the Lord came down does not suggest that God was not always fully aware of what was going on, but are just written to portray God's intervention, that he at that point came down with the intention to act and judge what was taking place. But Moses is further telling us, that man's thoughts and massive efforts, no matter how lofty, how big, they are so small to God. While the top of that tower, from the vantage point of earth, looking up, might seem to have pierced the clouds 
because it was so great and so high to the infinite almighty God. It was nothing. It was just a barely visible dot on his earth. And so God had to come down. And it was as though God had to stoop to view it. God had to descend to scrutinize and look at this this tiny city and tower, which seemed so great and so glorious to man. Well, verse describes, verse 5 describes the investigation, as it were, of God. Verse 6 informs us of God's appraisal of the situation. The Lord observed the city as it was being built in the Tower of Babel. And the Lord in His perfect wisdom stated that the problem was in the unity of the people. Behold, the people is one. A unity which was made possible by a common language. And they have all one language. And they were so united that they would do all they desired and imagined to do. Or now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. The completion of this city would in no way threaten God or His rule. The problem was what the completion of the city would do to man. This would only be the start. A self-willed, God-defying spirit of ambition had now budded in the imagination of man, left unchecked. A unified, sinful humanity with a unified language would only make it easier for evil to proliferate and spread over the whole earth and also become much stronger and lead to prolonged and even greater acts of wickedness. Thus, the construction of this man-centered city and tower and civilization and arrogant revolt against God's clear command to fill the earth had to be dealt with. God would not allow them to succeed in establishing a memorial city to their collective rejection of Him. Thus God said, Go to, let us go down. And that shows that God knew everything that had been going on because God used the same verbiage that these men had been saying as they joined together to build their city and tower in rebellion against Him. They arrogantly said, Go to, let us, build up. And then God in high council and perfect unity of the God's, Godhead said, Go to, let us go down. Let us, of course, reminds us of the Trinity, that God is one, one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The decision of the Godhead was to confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. God's wise decision was to confound or confuse man's language, to prevent communication and thereby thwart their unity. Thus, as all these descendants of Noah were busy building this city and putting bricks in the fire and baking them and then mixing up the asphalt and and taking it all and putting the bricks in place and communicating, giving and taking orders for the construction, suddenly... And surprisingly, no one had a clue what each other was saying. It wasn't a hearing problem, it was a speech issue. All of a sudden, out of their mouths came words they'd never said before in a way they've never spoken before. There was an immediate cacophony of unintelligible speech all over the city. Everyone seemed to be talking nonsense. Loud, incoherent arguments erupt all over the city, all look at each other with confusion as people try to communicate. 
This then results in panic, people running around the city trying to find someone, anyone who could understand their words and who talked like them. Anger, frustration, and fear spreads all over and among all the people. The people become fragmented and divided. They realize that they had to pull away from each other. They had to join into units of people with a common understood language. There was nothing to do but separate into groups. And then ultimately, they had to move away from the city, leaving it unfinished. And they depart in all different directions. And those who spoke the same language clustered into areas and regions around the world. The result was that the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. The Lord stopped the rebellion, shattered their unity, halted the building of the city, and scattered them all over the earth. And they became families after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. The scattering that man had bonded together to prevent now came to pass. What man would not do willingly, God forced them to do as a result of this judgment. Like the flood and the fall of man, Genesis reveals that where mankind disobeys God, the Lord judges sin. And then we need to also remember that like the flood was the judgment of God due to man's failure in the dispensation of conscience, the Tower of Babel was the judgment of God due to man's failure in the dispensation of human government. This failure was due to man's desire to create a corrupt, godless, humanistic, one-world government in defiance to God, and thus God judged it. Finally, we have a summary statement in verse 9. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. The name Babel is linked with the Hebrew word which means to confuse. Moses authored Genesis many, many years after these events, and Genesis was written to Israel. It is for us and for our learning and instruction and in righteousness, but it is written directly to Israel. And by the Holy Spirit, Moses recorded Genesis for all the Jews to understand how all the nations, peoples, and languages around her came to be. And Genesis was written to teach her that she was to be a witness nation of the true and living God to all these other nations that came about because of the Tower of Babel. We have here the only true factual record of the origin of the nations and the origin of languages that we find all around us in the world. By Genesis, we learn how the world came to be and why the world is the way it is with the languages and nations of the world. Babel was the beginning of the many different languages which we have in the world today. Currently, there are around 7,000 distinct languages in the world. And the many nations and different languages of man came into existence by a single act of God at the Tower of Babel. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. 
For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.